Wild Missions original podcast. The Barbary lion is a distinct population of lions of the northern subspecies of lion, Panthera leo leo, that roam the north of Africa from the western coast of Morocco through to Egypt. They were one of the most prized and heralded exotic animals in the world, fighting bloody battles at the Colosseum, gatekeeping the famous Tower of London, and they formed part of the traditional royal collection of lions for generations of Moroccan sultans and kings. But through centuries of hunting and agricultural expansion, the Barbary lion became extinct in the wild. But what if I told you that there are lions right now in zoos across the north of Africa and Europe that some people think are genetically distinct enough to be a Barbary lion? And if this is true, what do we do? How do we protect them? And can we reintroduce them back to the wilds of the Barbary Coast? I'm Andy Varvel, and this is Cats of the Wild, episode 14, The Barbary Lion. In room 64 of the School of Anthropology and Conservation at the University of Kent in the UK is an academic who's one of the world's leading researchers on the Barbary lion. So about 15 or so years ago, I did some master's study in conservation. And as part of that, I stumbled almost accidentally across the Barbary lion story on a zoo visit, funnily enough. His name is... Dr Simon Black. And he's a lecturer in conservation science. And I'm a member of the research institute there, which is the Durrell Institute of Conservation and Ecology. So Simon has this blog called Barbary Lion, Science and History of the North African Lion. It's https blogs.kent.ac.uk Barbary Lion. Just search for the Barbary Lion blog. But it was this blog that led me down a rabbit hole of all these stories about the Barbary Lion. So I just had to speak to the man himself. Well, historically, there were lions all across Africa and, uh, and into Asia. And the Barbary Lion was just sort of one subpopulation of that group. So the Barbary Lion was in Barbary, which is this space across North Africa, so Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, and into Libya. And it's that coastal region between the Sahara and the Mediterranean, and also reaching out in Morocco onto the Atlantic coast. And that ecosystem there is quite, uh, quite complex, quite rich. So you've got mountainous ecosystems from the Atlas Mountains, so the various Atlas ranges going east to west. And then you've got the coastal plains going down to the Mediterranean. And, uh, and there are a lot of lions that, that lived in that area. So as the Sahara Desert increased in size, the lions there, along with many other species, became isolated and formed a really unique ecosystem. The lions there were different to other lions in Africa. They lived in mountains and temperate forests, sometimes even in the snow. It was seen as very unusual and, uh, and obviously colonial hunters from Europe were very interested in it and uh, and so the tales of lions got out and, and, uh, and about and it was very much talked of as the Barbary lion. But kind of stretching back to sort of deeper history in the Middle Ages, European peoples started to encounter lions. Obviously they'd been around in, in the Roman period and were the lions 
that were shipped in hundreds, in the hundreds, to uh, the Roman gladiatorial games. So they were used in sort of animal combat and combat with gladiators in the, uh, in the Colosseum and places like that. Um, so they're familiar in this sort of history and you, know, you can see that in antiquity and antique culture. But in some more modern sort of colonial times and in, in medieval times, these animals from time to time were used as gifts and, and appeared in various courts in, in royal palaces and castles and so on, including in the UK. And that's where the whole sort of heraldry and symbols of lions in various sort of royal emblems kind of started to appear. So when we think of the lion, it's splendid sculptures of lions with big manes and powerful bodies. It's all based on the Barbary lion. And actually, when you think about it and you go and look at, at lions you know, in the uh, savannas in, in East Africa, you see sort of much more sort of slender animals, sometimes animals with less thick manes. And they don't kind of relate to And Obviously, that's due to sort of climatic factors and, and other sort of physiological elements of their makeup, which is different to what we saw in, in the North African lion, the Barbary lion. There are just a handful of photos of wild Barbary lions, and this lion really was a beast. The males have these long, flowing, dark manes, and they are certainly unlike any lion I've seen on safari in South Africa. The fame and stories of this lion, however, put it directly in the crosshairs of European hunters, as well as forms of traditional hunting. Well, there were a lot of them round even into the sort of 1600s, 1700s, so quite widespread pretty much from the high Atlas Mountains down to the coast. So quite familiar. And basically it was a combination of transformation of the landscape for agriculture and deforestation, the movement of flocks into those locations and then just conflict. So basically they were shot out. But in addition, there was sort of traditions of, of lion hunting from various tribal groups that lived in, in the area. So there was that pressure. And then when you get into the 1800s, the colonial period, and particularly into the French colonies, so in Algeria in particular, there was colonial interest to sort of reduce the wildness of the landscape and to convert it, make it more productive, encourage livestock and so on. So the French colonial government actually had a bounty out for shooting lions, so that encouraged further destruction. So basically they were shot out. And there are plenty of stories of colonial lion hunts as well. You know, people going out on trips, uh, being taken by local people out to locations where they know they could bag a lion um, and they'd shoot those. Or maybe specifically go and, and kill a pair and then take cubs. And then they'd take the cubs from, from the wild, bring them in as pets, basically, and then raise them in captivity. So quite a lot of stories of cubs being taken away and put into you know, menageries or private care or kept in people's flats or whatever, whatever it might be. And some of those animals went into the, uh, the Sultan of Morocco's collection. So the Sultan of Morocco is basically a line of rulers or kings in Morocco, and they kept a private collection of animals in the gardens of its palaces for centuries. There were quite a lot of animals there, and the, the place was notorious for the sultans throwing prisoners and people they didn't like into the lions, and, uh, and unfortunately they'd be executed that way by the lions. So things like that went on. According to a 2002 paper from Nobuyuki Yamaguchi, Abrahim Hadan, these lions owned by the Sultan of Morocco survived war and insurrection and moved from Fez to Rubat when Sultan Moulay Youssef moved there in 1912. Now the dates from this point start to get pretty important because it was widely claimed in 1922 that the last wild Barbary lion was killed by a French colonial hunter in Morocco. The Barbary lion was extinct in the wild. Or was it? 
One was really interesting. We talk about the 1922 figure, which is banded around, you know, a lot. And and yet I can pick up a photograph taken in 1925, which is uh, of the Moroccan Atlas Mountains with a lion in it down in the valley. So and that's the last photo we've got, incidentally. But you can pinpoint exactly when that photo was taken because we know who the photographer was. We know what years he went into in an aeroplane and we know what regions he was taking photographs in. So we know exactly that it's an authentic photo. And, but it was missed. So Simon and his colleague David Roberts did some research to try and pinpoint exactly when the Barbary lion did go extinct in the wild. But they needed some help from some locals. I've got a colleague in Algeria, Dr Amina Falou, and she's a great natural scientist and, and works with many different species and landscapes in Algeria. And she has been over, over many, many years has collected a lot of accounts from local people in Algeria. And some of them, you know, old, old men, and uh, some of them giving accounts of what their parents knew or stories that they knew as kids, and some of them their own stories, their own authentic accounts of different types of wildlife of which lions were one feature. We collated all of these sightings and findings and documented accounts from across Morocco, across Algeria, and also in some, some later ones in Tunisia as well, and looked at where we could place years and dates on some of those sightings. 1925, Hasi Agu, observation at water points. 1930, Wiwan area, observation of few lions and tracks. Winter 1935, Busam, male lion shot attacking a cow. 1943, unknown location in Algeria, lion shot. And then in 1956, Beni Urtilan, north of Stief, there was a remarkable sighting of a Barbary lion. That was corroborated by not only one or two people, but a busload of them. And one of the last sightings was a, um, a bunch of people on a bus. You know, so it wasn't just one individual walking down the road. It was a whole load of people on the bus that saw a lion on the edge of the forest going around a corner. And, and it's very easy to target where that is because the bus route was a very specific bus route. And also it only ran for about 18 months because the, uh, the road was opened up and then warfare meant the route was closed. Based on this information, they were able to come up with a projected extinction date of around about 1960, which is almost 40 years after the 1922 so-called extinction date. But our story isn't over just yet. So remember in 1912, the Sultan's captive Barbary lions were moved from Fez to the coastal city of Rubat, and they remained there until 1953, when three of them were sent to a zoo in Casablanca. The remaining 21 went to a zoo in Meknes. In 1955, the lions at Meknes were returned to the royal palace and then finally moved to a new zoo in Rubat in the early 1970s after the independence of Morocco. So my big question is, are there any Barbary lions alive today in zoos? And if so, how do we prove that? The DNA testing is, is a real problem because, unfortunately, in the period that all the wild animals were exterminated from, from Morocco, from Algeria, from Tunisia, aside from a, you know, a small number of taxidermy specimens that were kept in museums and a couple of skulls were dredged up from the Tower of London, for example, and that was quite recently, apart from those handful of specimens, there's, there are no other known wild-sourced animals from North Africa 
which means when you go to then sample and say, okay, well, what's our what's our reference sample for knowing what the DNA of a Barbary lion looks like? You're reliant on very sort of degenerated specimens. And, and, and yes, there's been some good mitochondrial DNA work that's been done with those groups, but getting uh, deeper analysis of the DNA is quite problematic. Fortunately, the molecular biology is moving forward at a state and hopefully we'll be at a point where we can understand that better. But even so, your actual pool of samples is very, very tiny. So we don't know what the full population genetics would have looked like for North African lions. So it's very difficult then to compare what you've got alive in a zoo or, or a dead animal from a zoo with what was what was there in the wild. OK, so that's the first challenge. But the second challenge is that there are some suspicions that the captive Barbary lion lineage got mixed at some points with your typical savanna lion. Certainly, there is some evidence of, of hybridisation with other animals. And the story behind that is that probably from time to time, non-North African lions probably were introduced into the King's collection. So there's an element of introgression to this sort of hybridisation between different lion groups. And that could have diluted what was there. But there's no evidence that none of them were from North Africa in that population at all. I mean, that's a slightly ridiculous thing to think. There definitely was a base population of animals. And of course, the number of animals in that collection is quite large. So it could be anything from over the hundreds of years, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more animals. And they've got quite a large number of them in Morocco at the moment. And if you're only going to pick out a couple of individuals from that, you're not going to get the whole story. In my own work, when you look at the animals that are known to be derived from the, the Moroccan royal collection, you've got a group in the zoo in Morocco. And then you've got a number of animals which are dotted around zoos in Europe, mostly. And what we find is that the animals in Europe are descended from a much larger number of original animals from Morocco than the current living animals in Morocco. So there's more diversity out in zoos around Europe than there is within Morocco. So if you're only going to pick animals from the Moroccan group, you're only going to get part of the story of the whole population anyway. So I think we've got a lot of work to do there. Back in the 1970s, there was another researcher, Paul Leihausen, and what he did was look at the royal collection of lions in Morocco, and then identify what lions looked most like the historical depiction of the Barbary lion. He was told the last wild lions were brought into the collection in the 1890s, but with lions still around in the wild up to around 1960, there's still a chance that wild lions were put into that collection much later than 1890. This matters because what they can start to begin to do is count the number of generations these captive lions may be from their wild ancestors. We know sort of the uh, generation time typical in zoo animals and so how often you know, females will breed and produce c cubs and that's slightly different to what you see in the in the wild. And so within a captive group they would have been you know, rather than just continually pumping out loads and loads of cubs they would have they would have kind of managed that. So you, it kind of spreads out the number of generations that you likely would have had. So if you had you know lions come wild lions coming in later and then some sort of reasonably sensible management of breeding over the years. There could be, rather than 20 generations, maybe you know, 10 or 12 generations, up to the animals that we see in, in zoos today. And obviously, if there are less number of generations, then not only is there a, the timeline kind of shorter back to the wild, but also the opportunity for hybridization with individuals in that time is less because you've got less number of breeding cycles that are occurring. So this reduces that impact 
of hybridization, which people say, oh, well, they can't be real hybrid lions because they had other you know, hybrids come in there. It kind of dilutes that, that opportunity of hybridization, which means the potential for the existing Moroccan lions that we see in zoos today of being authentic is, is that much greater. You know, they could be closer to the real thing than we might have thought. We need to look at that quite seriously. Obviously, we can do molecular studies to, to back that up and look into it. But we need to be serious rather than writing them off as, you know, they're just sort of generic lines. They're not. They've, they've got a better history than that. And we need to look at that quite seriously because otherwise we could be throwing the baby out with the bathwater if we don't look after them. So what Simon has been doing is working with zoos in these regions to work from that assumption and ensure that they don't mix or breed suspected Barbary lines with other subspecies of lines so that this small captive population can be maintained. So the big question is, what do we do now? Do we reside to the fact that the Barbary or Atlas lion is just another subspecies that we can only see in a zoo? Or is there a bigger opportunity for these lions to be part of the great rewilding of North Africa? I think in terms of lions fitting into modern North African landscape is an interesting question because... Obviously, there's, there's huge potential for conflict, you know, large carnivore going into that space. But we also know that the, the ecosystems in North Africa are really, really degraded and they've got important species there, like, for example, the Barbary macaque, which is, which is severely threatened. But one of its major threats is feral dogs. Okay, and the reason feral dogs are around is because there aren't any predators that keep them out of that landscape. So, you know, the whole sort of imbalance in the ecosystem is causing problems for many, many different species. You know, every species has a function in an ecosystem, and obviously lions have an important control function in terms of obviously prey species, but also other predators. But I think what interests me in particular is that even though there are degraded landscapes across North Africa, there are also some areas of quite nice habitat which could be enhanced by having lions in them if we consider that lions were you know up to the 1960s maybe were in these landscapes then considering them had it not been for the algerian war maybe and for french military attacks on to deforest large areas of coastal forest in algeria then lions probably might not have been wiped out from those forests at that time and we've got evidence that you know the last area where there were lions was actually uh, blitzed by military aircraft and, and and the last animals ironically would have been destroyed by napalm now if that had not happened you know in not late 1950s 58 59 then you know lions could have been there conceivably 20 years later you know lions in north africa in the 1980s and if they were there in the 1980s why not then in the 1990s and so on so so you start to realise that actually having lions in that landscape is not such a pipe dream and that maybe there is you know, a way that we could actually bring them back into that space. And if we think about big cats in other parts of the world, so we think particularly you know, things like tigers in Bhutan, for example, which only recently we've started to understand that they're there and they're doing OK, you know, they're, they're using that landscape. If we think about leopards in places like Turkey, they're still around, still able to survive in those landscapes. And we're starting to actually see, well, maybe the position of, of large carnivores in landscape is something we, you know, we need to kind of re-understand that and reposition what that might be. And for North Africa, there may well be a practical place and a realistic place for lions to fit in that landscape. And I think species conservation has a great history of 
focusing on particular species and then understanding how habitats need to then develop around that and then you, you end up with sort of ecosystems being recovered and there's a good history in terms of learning around that and uh, and I think we you know we need to engage with that in this this wider climate and rewilding debate to actually come up with some exciting possibilities for these landscapes which have been terribly degraded and but yet still have huge opportunity. I get excited about rewilding and the reintroduction of species to the wild, but the story of the Barbary lion serves as a really important example right now for the lion populations in West Africa. To be honest, they are on a path to extinction, and unlike the lions of North Africa, there's no real insurance population, if you like, in zoos. I'm not going to profess to be an expert in in West African lion conservation, but there's been some excellent studies and survey work of the populations across West Africa. And the basic story from having had, you know, we we think of, for example, a a country like Senegal, which is very much identifies with the lion, you know, culturally, and and lions are pretty much completely gone from Senegal entirely. So um, what what we're left with is, is tiny populations you know, really, we're down to hundreds across West Africa, and, uh, and some of those populations are down to five or ten animals in different isolated locations. We have stories in in uh, some parts where lions haven't been seen for decades, of people hearing lion roars and things like that, or seeing a footprint, or thinking they've seen a lion. And some of these reports are kind of just written off, and so don't forget about it. You know, you're kind of imagining things. Lions haven't been seen there for 20 years, but we know from experiences in North Africa that these animals can persist. The question is, do we just say, "I oh, forget about it," or do we say we need to be proactive and we can actually conserve these groups, whether they're seen, whether they're unknown ones, or whether these these tiny micropopulations of five or ten animals? And what do we do with that sort of lion group? And, and is is there a, is there a way of taking it forward? So they're on the brink of just basically catastrophically declining and disappearing in many of those areas. And this has been happening sequentially over the last 20 years. But you do get these odd, strange things happening. So kind of thinking more towards Central Africa, but in Gabon recently, five years ago, uh, a camera trap suddenly picked up a lion. And lions hadn't been seen in Gabon for 20 odd years. People were saying, well, what's this animal? Yeah, it's travelled across into the country and it's suddenly appeared in Gabon. Yeah. They've since did um, some DNA testing. They did a... a um, a hair trap, so they've got a hair sample from this animal, and they identified it is genetically, it was one of the original Gabon animals. They've persisted in this location for 20 years and no one's known anything about it. And I think there's potential for stories like that happening because these animals are so fragmented and spaced out, you know, going back across West Africa, that we need to kind of think about, okay, well, what's our strategy here? Are we going to just going to let them peter out or get shot when they get in conflict with human beings? Or do we need to start learning lessons about what spaces are they using? How do they fit into the ecology of the landscape that's left? And um, can we do anything about protecting that population and enabling it to actually fit in a meaningful way in the, you know, how landscapes across the region um, are now today and maybe how they need to be redeveloped and, and recovered over the next few decades? I'm Dr. Simon Black, and you can find out more about the Barbary lion and lion conservation at the Barbary lion blog, which you'll find at the University of Kent blogs site. Thank you so much to Dr. Simon Black for his time. Please check out his Barbary Lion blog and also please consider supporting lion conservation in West Africa through organisations like Panthera, the Lion Recovery Fund and the Leo Foundation. If you know of any other great organisations working with lion conservation in West Africa, please let me know so I can share on social media.
Cats of the Wild is created by me, Andy Barvel. The music is by Score Squad, other music and sound effects from Envato.